Lord Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us through what you say in Scripture to help us have joy, not as the world gives, but as you give. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Before I start, I just want to say to Kelly and Bram, on behalf of our church, thank you for letting us be a part of what's happening at Stevenson. I think we got a lot more out of it than you did, so we're really grateful that you let us come and run around your property for a day. It's cool. Two years ago during Christmas, my wife and I took our kids to ride the Santa train. Anyone ever heard of that? It's advertised as this really fun thing in North Bend where your kids get to ride a train, eat cookies, and meet Santa Claus. Well, when we got there, it was pouring down rain, and we had left my daughter's shoes at home. So I took two plastic bags and tied them around her socks and carried her everywhere we went. We hauled our three wet, tired, crying kids to the train station, saying to them, hurry up, kids, we've got to go have fun now, come on. The train was crowded, the line was long, and by the time most of the kids got to see Santa, they were screaming. And so this thing that was supposed to be really fun turned out to be a miserable experience. And it was then that my wife and I realized that if you rearrange the letters in the word Santa, it spells Satan. We now call it the Satan train experience. There's a metaphor in there somewhere, and I think it's this. There are a lot of things in life that we think are going to make us happy, but they don't. Either because the happiness is short-lived or it never materializes at all. The fun of the new car, the new job, whatever it is, wears off pretty quickly. So the question is, what is it that's going to give us lasting joy? That's a good question to ask during Christmas, since Christmas is supposed to be all about joy. The problem is, though, a lot of people have trouble with joy. Sometimes I do. As I've told you before, I have occasional JDD, joy deficit disorder. (laughs) Some of you may have the same thing. Or some of you right now may be going through really difficult times. Health problems, financial problems, relationship problems. Or maybe like a lot of people, Christmas is just a painful time. Either because someone you love has died, or you feel lonely, or your family is having trouble right now. That's why I think it's important to notice that in all those scriptures that we just read from all over the Bible about joy, in each case, the circumstances under which those scriptures were written were awful. The people in Nehemiah's time had just returned from exile to find their city completely burned to the ground. And they're all weeping, and Nehemiah says, Rejoice! Celebrate! The joy of the Lord is your strength. What? Our city's just been burned to the ground. When Jesus tells his disciples that he came to give them joy, he's going to be crucified the next morning. Paul is in prison when he's writing about rejoicing, and the shepherds in the Christmas story are the poorest of the poor in a country that has been occupied by a foreign army. Their economy is in shambles. Some angel shows up, scares the tar out of them, and says, I got good news. A peasant baby's just been born to an unwed homeless mother in a barn. Rejoice. (laughs) In a lot of places in the Bible, the word joy is put side by side with things that should make us miserable. And that's where we got to understand that the Bible's understanding of joy is very different than ours. 
As some of you have probably heard before, there is a difference, biblically speaking, between joy and happiness. Happiness is based on what's happening, as the word implies. It's a because of kind of feeling. Because of my new car, because things are good, I'm happy. But joy is different. Joy is an in spite of kind of experience. In spite of the fact that I've lost a loved one, in spite of my health problems, in spite of what's wrong, I have joy. Because I know that God loves me and that he's going to use everything for good. Joy transcends our circumstances. It is a sense of confidence and wholeness and rejoicing that goes beyond what's going on in our world or in our lives. So what is it that's going to give us this kind of joy, lasting joy? A couple of things. First thing is we've got to get close to Jesus. In the passage we read, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, stick to me and you'll have joy. In order to have joy, we need to cling to Jesus through prayer, worship, scripture, obedience. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. And getting to know him is getting to know God. And God is the most joy-filled being in the universe. I mean, just look at creation, right? It's joyful. In Genesis 1, when God is creating, it doesn't say, in the beginning it was 9 o'clock, so God got up, went to work, filled out a requisition to create light, and said, that'll do. It doesn't say, when he came to creating animals, it doesn't say, so God created a cat and said, well, that's good enough, I don't want to make any more animals. Besides, I'm not so crazy about the cat anyway. (laughs) That's not what it says. It says God created all these things and it was good. Birds, fish, mountains, rivers, aardvarks. I mean, all of it is a reflection of God's joy and his delight. And just like hanging out with a fun person helps us to have more fun, if we get close to Jesus, his joy will rub off on us. Second way to find joy is to die to self and build God's kingdom. Sounds a little contradictory, but it's true. Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you, and you're going to have joy. Real joy comes when we can get our focus off of ourselves and onto God and other people, because it gets us out of our problems, gets us out of our difficulties, at least for just a few minutes, and focused on someone else. When I was in Rwanda last spring, we went to a rally for street kids, And there were a couple of hundred of these kids at this place, ranging ages from sort of 5 to 16. Most of them were living on the streets. They had no parents. Many of them were working as prostitutes just to make ends meet, make a living. Rich Leatherberry, our missions pastor here, preached a great sermon at this rally. And he he said, I look out, and some people would look out and see street kids. But I don't see that. I see doctors and, and soccer players and teachers and children loved by God. And that's what God sees. And then he gave an invitation that if any one of them wanted to make Jesus their leader and forgiver, well, then we'd go out and pray for them and lay hands on them and pray for them, which is what we did. We waited out in this crowd of God's children, and we were just swamped with all of these kids climbing all over us, wanting us to put our hands on them and pray for them. And then as part of this celebration, we also danced with them. A lot of dancing in Rwanda. A couple weeks ago, you heard how... We all waded out into a crowd of prisoners, these genocidal killers, and started dancing with them. Well, this was the very next day. And we all started dancing with these street kids. Even shy, rhythmically challenged me. (laughs) I was dancing. And I know that probably gives you a mental image right now that you would like to wipe from your mind. (laughs) 
But if that image of me dancing freaks you out, well, check this one out. That is Rich, our missions pastor. Frightening, isn't it? Now, you should know I have his permission to show that picture, sort of. And I looked for a picture of me dancing, but I couldn't find it. And I'm sure I'm in trouble the next time Rich preaches. Now, was I happy in that moment? I'm not that moment, but how could you be, right? But in the whole sort of Rwandan moment there, was I happy? That's not quite the right word. I was jet lagged. I was out of my comfort zone. There was dirt, bad smells everywhere. I wasn't happy, but I had a ton of joy. Something much deeper than happiness. It was this feeling as if, yes, things are very hard here, and the plight of these kids is breaking my heart, and yet God loves them and they know it. And one day God's going to put an end to all of this suffering, and they know that too. And right now, in this moment, we have a sense of community. And suddenly, the kingdom of our God busted right into the kingdom of this world. And I got to be a part of it. Because for a minute, I got out of myself and into God's kingdom. Get close to Jesus, die to self, and build God's kingdom. And finally, joy comes when we discipline ourselves to celebrate. In the Bible, God commands six feasts and only one fast. That's a six-to-one ratio. It just goes to show God's a party animal. God commands us to celebrate. It is a discipline of celebration. So celebrate, even when times are hard. As I've told you before, in our house on Sundays, we have chocolate milk all day long, just to remind us that Jesus is good. Go have a joy day. Just do things that give you joy. Maybe not happiness, but joy. Because even when things are hard, when we celebrate, it reminds us that there's always at least one good thing in life, at least one, and usually two, or more. Get close to Jesus. Die to self and build his kingdom. Celebrate. Now, right now, some of you might be saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute, Scott. You do not understand. There is no way I can have joy right now. You don't understand. I just got the bad news from the doctor. Or my kid won't talk to me. Or I'm going through a divorce. You don't understand. And those things are very real. And they are very hard. And they are very painful. And I don't think joy means running around with a fake smile on our face, pretending that things don't hurt when they do. That's just phony. That's not joy. But what the Bible promises is that as we get close to Jesus, build his kingdom, celebrate, obey his commands, which Jesus says were made to give us joy, not make us miserable. Yes, there will still be pain in life, but God will give us a gift of confidence, wholeness, and joy that transcends what's going on. One of our elders told me this week that several years ago, she had a tumor and it took doctors two months to figure out what was wrong with her. And she said as they went through this whole time, this two-month time, she said she just had this absolute certainty that God was with her. And that gave her joy. And she said it drove her family and friends crazy that she wasn't freaking out. And when they finally successfully removed the tumor, the doctors told her that she had a weird and rare form of cancer. And her family decided that weird and rare pretty much fit her. That was a good description. And now she's fine. But as she went through that, as people prayed for her, they were a tangible reminder that God loved her. And as she got close to Jesus, he gave her the gift of joy. You see, we don't have to go around whumping up joy on our own. If we know Jesus, his Holy Spirit is inside of us, helping us draw close to Jesus and giving us the gift of joy. 
Not happiness, maybe, but joy. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that my joy might be in you and that you might have it to the full. The bottom line is this. God wants to give us joy. He wants to do that. That's what gives him joy, is to give us joy, even in hard times. My six-year-old daughter has wanted to go to Disneyland ever since she could talk. We told her she had to wait till our youngest, Lucy, was seven, which is five years from now. <laughs> most of her whole life. So finally, my wife and I broke down, and we decided that we'd take all three of our kids to Disneyland. But we wanted to keep it a surprise, so whenever we talked about it, we had this code word for Disneyland. We called it Folsom State Prison. <laughs> they never caught on. Went right by him. So one morning we surprised them, woke them up, said, get dressed, we're going to Disneyland today. By that afternoon we were there, we had a great time. Toward the end of our trip, we had a breakfast at a restaurant where all the Disney characters wander around in, in costume. And my daughter just loves princesses. She just always talks about princesses. And at this breakfast we could see Cinderella wandering around, but she wasn't coming over to our table. So we kept asking the waitress, hey, could you send Cinderella over here? And apparently they had some prescribed route they had to follow, and Cinderella never came. And it was time for us to go, but there was no way that I was going to let us leave that restaurant without my daughter talking to Cinderella, <laughs> even if that meant that I had to wrestle Cinderella to the ground and strong arm her back to the table myself. <laughs> Although that probably would have scarred my daughter. So I went over to Cinderella and I said, look, I know you got your root and everything, but we got to go. And I've got this little six-year-old girl who is just dying to talk to you. Would you please come over to our table? And so she bent the rules a little bit and went over. Apparently, Cinderella has a rebellious streak. <laughs> and when my daughter saw her, she jumped out of her seat, ran over and looked at Cinderella with this huge smile on her face. That is a very happy little girl. But it gave me a lot of joy to give that moment to her because I was out of myself and serving her. Now, was everything in Disneyland perfect? No. We had to stand in long lines and there was a lot of walking around and you three little kids. So there was tears and fits and mini crises, right? And they still had to obey our rules about eating and bedtime and all that. Not because we wanted to make them miserable, but we wanted them to have energy and enjoy the day. Everything was not perfect. But in the middle of that, I still wanted to give the gift of Disneyland to my kids. It wasn't for me. I mean, I had no pressing need to go to Disneyland, believe me. And I hope I never hear the song, It's a Small World Again. You know what I'm talking about, right? But I wanted to give that gift to my kids. And it gave me joy to do it. And if that's me, who is sinful to the core, then how much more so our Heavenly Father. And all I can give my kids is some temporary happiness at Disneyland. But what God wants to give us is joy. And yes, there will be pain in this world until Jesus returns. But in the middle of that, God wants to give us confidence and wholeness and joy that transcends our circumstances. And our job is just to get close to Him. The theologian Karl Barth once said that joy is a defiant nevertheless in the face of pain. In spite of the pain and difficulty in life, nevertheless, we belong to a God who wants to give us joy. Therefore, I will rejoice. In spite of what's wrong in my life, nevertheless, we belong to a God who loves us so much that he came himself in the person of Jesus, died to pay the penalty for our sins so we could know his love. Therefore, 
I will rejoice. In spite of the fact that I've been laid off, nevertheless, I know God will provide and so I will rejoice. Yes, I've lost a loved one. Nevertheless, because of Jesus, I know I'll see that person again, so I will rejoice. Yes, I've struggled with this same sin or brokenness for years. Nevertheless, I am in Christ, and that means that I am a new creation. Therefore, I will rejoice. Yes, my life may be falling apart. Nevertheless, God is in control. And though the wrong seems off so strong, God is ruler yet. And he will use every rotten thing for good. And one day he will put an end to suffering. Therefore, I will rejoice. You see, joy doesn't pretend that the world isn't hard. It is. Joy just says yes, but nevertheless. Joy is a Rwandan kid dancing because some white guy without rhythm told him that Jesus loved him. Joy is a man put in prison for genocide, singing at the top of his lungs because he knows that in Jesus he's been forgiven and his past has been made clean. Joy is a woman who has a weird and rare tumor who nevertheless knows that God is with her. Joy doesn't mean everything is great. Joy just means, nevertheless, God is still God. And He is good, not just sometimes, not just now and then, not just when He remembers to do it, but God is good how often? All the time. You want to give the devil a nervous breakdown? Here's what you do. When he takes his best shot at you, you pray for your enemies, you thank God in advance how he's going to use bad for good, and then you sing and celebrate like there's no tomorrow, all as a way of telling Satan to go to hell where he belongs. (laughs) Joy is thumbing our nose at Satan. It is raising our fist in confident defiance and saying Satan, sin, and death do not control this world. Our God does. Joy is a defiant nevertheless that says to Satan, you may have won the battle, but you're going to lose the war. You may have gotten me down this time, but God will get me up next time. You may have hurt me a little, but Jesus loves me a lot, and therefore I will rejoice. Joy to the world. Our Lord has come. And he comes to make his blessings known. How far? As far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found. Therefore, I will rejoice nevertheless. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that no matter what is going on, you want to give us the gift of joy. Not the world's joy, but joy in the middle of our pain, joy in the middle of what's wrong. So Lord, help us to get close to you so you can give us that gift. We pray this in your name. Amen.